Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about when and why you might consider reading a work of children's literature, and we'll talk about whether you can change your tendency. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who recently was responsible for a work of children's literature, or really, YA literature. Yes, that's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yeah, Gretchen, uh, the book I co-authored with Shay Olson called Flower is out in stores now and available anywhere you buy books. So please do check it out. And it's so good. I loved it. And a great cover, too. Thank you. Yes, Mom read it recently, and she gave me a rave review. I was happy about that. So I'm very excited. Speaking of books that we've authored, I'm very excited because it's just 13 days, maybe an inauspicious number uh, of the countdown, until my book, The Four Tendencies, hits the shelves. It's hard to believe it's really coming up in just 13 days. I know, and Gretchen, sometimes I feel like because we talk so much about the tendencies, people will be like, oh, I don't need to read that book because they talk about it all the time on the podcast. But trust me, there is a lot in the book that we do not get to (laughs) in the podcast. Yeah, you can say a lot more, it turns out, in a whole book, and you can organize it more succinctly than you can in conversation. So (laughs) You go deep. Yes, yes. I'm excited to get it out in the world. Yes. So listen, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to consider reading children's literature. Yes. And Gretch, you read children's literature all the time. Yeah, I am a big fan of children's literature and young adult literature all the time. I read it all the time. I'm in three children's literature reading groups with a bunch of adults. There are no children where we mm-hmm. read this this literature. So I'm a huge fan of it just as part of what you would read as part of your ordinary day. But I have noticed that there's a time when children's literature maybe hits the spot particularly well or maybe might be enjoyable for people who don't read it all the time the way that I do. And this occurred to me because recently I was in a moment where there was a lot of bad things happening in the news. So I was feeling very overwhelmed by kind of public events. And we were packing Eliza up for college. So I was feeling very overwhelmed by kind of my emotional state. Plus, there was a lot of logistics. It is like the parent Olympics to to pack up your child for college and like thinking, oh, my gosh, do we have enough contact lenses for her? And, you know, there was just like all these like little things and like to do lists just fluttering all around the house. I'm working on my website redesign, which has to be done by the time my book comes out on September 12th. My book tour was getting planned. There were just there was so much going on. And I was feeling overwhelmed, both on a personal level and then in kind of this, you know, civic level. And I thought. I can't read. I can't read a book. I was in the middle of reading Mary Cantwell's uh, memoir, uh, Manhattan, when I was young, which is a book that I've read before, and I love it. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't Mm -hmm. tackle it. And so I turned to a work of children's literature. Which one? What did you read? I reread for the the 115th time from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweller by E.L. Konigsberg, which is such oh that is one of my favorites right it's such an amazing book i love that book and the thing i think is great about children's literature is you can read a book that is truly a towering masterpiece of its kind and i think there's special gratification and special 
kind of transcendence that comes from reading something that is really, really, really well done. Like, it's always fun to read kind of trash or just sort of passing potato chip literature. And I certainly read that stuff myself. But there's a special kind of contentment that you get when you read something that's really, really good. And the fact is, something like Charlotte's Web is an outstanding masterpiece as a work of children's literature. And maybe you wouldn't be able to tackle something like to the lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, if you're feeling like really kind right. of under a lot of mental pressure, but you can read something that is really truly outstanding as a work of children's literature. So you're reading something that is really worth your time and your mental energy and your intellect, but it's kind of more within your grasp. Yeah. And I think right now a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed and unable to concentrate because of just the news of the day. Yeah. And it's constantly changing. But it's very hard to focus and concentrate, um, and a lot of people are upset. So I find that I'm doing this. Like, even before you brought this up, I realized, like, I, um, you know, it was like, okay, I need a book, and I pulled out a YA book. Now, I don't always read the the works of literature like you're talking about, you know, right. sometimes I just read sort of the fun YA book of the day. Yep. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, YA stands for young adult. Right. And I think that's a good point, too, that there's just something when people are writing for children's books or YA books, it tends to be less uh, harrowing, you know, even if it deals with a very sad or difficult yeah. subject, which many books of children's, even children's literature and certainly young adult literature do. It it doesn't tend to be just as completely shattering as some adult books can be. It's just a different kind of thing. And I think that it's, it is easier to concentrate. And this is something that we've heard from a lot of people, many, many listeners, and certainly many readers of my site and everything say, I'm really struggling to manage myself given everything that's happening in the world. And it's not that you should be escapist or that you should um, turn away from events because it's really important. As, you know, we all have a civic obligation to stay informed and engaged. But sometimes just to kind of stay in control of yourself or to stay calm or to manage yourself, you need to have a little break or you need to do something to just uh, get your focus and your concentration back. And I do think children's literature and YA literature is a place that maybe a lot of people haven't thought of. Like they think, oh, I'll turn off the notifications on my app or yeah. uh, my thing is like I'll read the newspaper instead of reading online news because then it's sort of limited and it's more kind of less emotional and more analytical. And this is another thing that you can do is is read these kinds of books. Yeah. And Gretch, don't you have a list of children's books that you think are really great? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I had the most fun in the world making this list. It's my 81 favorite works of children's <laughs> literature and young adult literature. And you're kind of like, why 81? That's such an odd number. And it was like I listed the books I loved, 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 loved. I, would li I listed them. And then at 81, it was like there was a big drop off. There's still books that I love that are not on that list, but I don't mm, love them. It's right. not like reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe mm. or Charlotte's Web or something like that. And so, yeah, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. This is happiercast.com slash 132 if people want that. And I also think, you know, one of the things about children's books is they tend to be a little bit shorter. Now, of course, famously, Harry Potter and Order of the Phoenix is more than 250,000 words. And personally, like, <laughs> I wish it had been twice as long because I just can't get enough Harry Potter. But something like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that's 36,000 words. That's really short. And yet you can, you're experiencing a yeah. whole beautiful narrative arc. It's the whole satisfaction of a novel beautifully realized in, in a shorter form. 
I also think going back and rereading something you've read, like The Cat Ate My Gym Suit, for instance, is a book I loved when I was younger. Love that book. It kind of takes you back to that time. It's like a little vacation from adulthood. Yes. Very good point. Yes. Now, and then some people love to reread. Like, I love to reread, so I reread a lot. You don't often reread, Elizabeth, but maybe in a certain mood, you feel like rereading because it is, because um, as you say, it gives sort of a different flavor to your experience. Yeah. If I'm going to reread, it's usually books that I read, like, in middle school um, or high school. Um, for instance, recently, I reread the whole Meet the Austin Ugh. Series, the Madeline Langle, you know, I think there was three or four books in that Um, because even I I love them so much. I was like, I just want to experience this again. I think it's because I'm often wanting to go back to being a teenager. (laughs) So I like to put myself in a teenage uh, world. But, you know, one of the things that reminds me, like the C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series, wrote a really, really fascinating essay called On Three Ways of Writing for Children. And one of the things he says is like, it's not that writing children's book is like a lesser version of writing an adult book. It's its own thing. And and that when mm-hmm. you're writing, he was saying when he's writing a children's book, because he's wrote many, many, many books, nonfiction and um, academic and also fiction books for adults. He's like, for sometimes the story requires that it be written in this way. Like if you're going to write The Wind in the Willows, you're going to write it this way. And so it's a perfect example of a form. It's not like it's an easier, dumbed-down version of an adult book. It's the thing that it needs to be. And something like Meet the Austins, it's like that's what its perfectly formed version is. Exactly. Now, and Alyssa, you and I loved in episode nine of Happier in Hollywood, you and Sarah talked about being on the rack. And you sort of returned a couple times, I think most recently... Uh, like in episode 14, you talked again about this feeling of being on the rack and just being pulled in every direction. Do you feel like this is something that helps you when you're experiencing that kind of feeling? Yes, I think it does. Because again, it's it's the concept of, I'm not going to sit down and read some towering you know, work <laughs> of literature yeah. like Anna Karenina yeah. when I'm just like can't even focus barely on, you know, getting yeah. breakfast, you know. Right. But I might at night sort of take a break from life with something that feels manageable like YA lit, which I think is, again, part of why I like it so much. But and, and this is the thing that we've heard from so many people. People really see a value in reading. When we talk about habits that people want yeah. to acquire, I'm astonished by how often people say they want to read more. They want more of it. People do get a special feeling of satisfaction from reading. So it's sort of like, well... How can you set it up so that it's easier to read? Maybe you just need to think about your choices a little bit more, suit your choices to what kind of mood you're in so you can get that reading, you know, as part of your life. Yes. And I think people just forget how great these books are. Oh, so, so good. They're revisit. So, revisit. Or visit for the first time. Maybe <laughs> what people didn't like to read yeah. growing up and they haven't read these books. Well, and by the way, there have been thousands, so much. We're like in a golden age of children's literature and young adult literature. So much good stuff has been written in the, like the last 15 years. If you stopped reading it because once you became an adult, go back to that section of the library and the bookstore because there's so many outstanding books. But again, it's not about escapism. It's not about like, I can't deal with things and so I'm turning away. It's more like I need to take a deep breath. I need to recharge my battery. I need to fuel myself to go forward, to engage with the problems of the world, to engage with the people around me. You know, I'm a cell phone that needs to get plugged into the wall. How do I do that? And then that is going to allow us really to play our part in the world, I think, in a more effective, constructive way. Yeah. 
So let us know if you tried this at home and whether reading a work of children's literature allowed you to read it at a time when you were finding it tough to concentrate. And what did you read? I'm always looking for new suggestions. So um, let me know. Let Elizabeth know. We both love these books. Let us know on Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to happiercast.com slash 132 for everything related to this episode, including my list of my 81 favorites. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So listen, this week, the happiness hack comes to us from Kat, who identifies as a rebel uh, from England. Always love hearing from rebels. <laughs> yes. Kat said, today I arrived at work feeling lackluster and itching for a change of scene. That exact urge that makes me rearrange rooms in my house on a random rainy Sunday afternoon. But I work in an open plan office. I can't just reposition my desk and I don't even have cube walls to decorate. But I do have the ability to change the desktop wallpaper on my computer and access to Google image search. I spent a few minutes with my morning coffee seeking out some gorgeous photography and made a folder on my computer with beautiful photos to switch out whenever I crave a change of scene. I picked a beautiful close-up of eucalyptus leaves in a vase and spent the rest of the day feeling a little burst of happiness and calm each time I glimpsed my desktop throughout the day. A mini example of the power of a fresh start? Question mark? Exclamation point. So my happiness hack is update your desktop background and the theme in your most commonly used applications to give yourself a change of scene at work. <laughs> Bonus tip, use unsplash.com for gorgeous, free, high-resolution photos of all kinds of things. So I love this. I love this hack, first of all, because it's really mm. uh, small and easy and manageable. And it, it relates to something that's ubiquitous, which is like your desktop and the themes and applications. And I love that this comes from a rebel, because this is something that re rebels often will say, is they really don't like doing the same thing mm -hmm. in the same way day after day. A lot of times yeah. they'll seek out work where like, oh, every day I go to a different field office or I'm in sales, so I'm calling on all different customers. They like a lot of variety and change. And so this is interesting because Kat is in a situation where it's not really possible to shake things up. You know, open plan office, you can't rearrange things. So what do you do with that? Yeah. Well, this is a very ingenious solution. 
change what you can change. And here's it was a fun project to pick out all these images, pick one whenever you want. So whenever there is that need for kind of refreshment and change, it's within an easy grasp. So I thought this was such a good solution to something that many and I think people who aren't rebels also, you can just start to feel sort of stale. Yeah, and it's just nice to see nice images. Like one thing Adam does, which I don't quite understand, because you know, I'm not great with this sort of thing is he has a folder of pictures of Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then different pictures of Jack, our son, pop up for him all the time. So that's also a happiness boost. Yeah, because th- that's the thing. It's like it's so fun to have those favorite framed photos that you see all the time and that you love. But then what about all the other hundreds of photos that sort of don't make it to that level? But it's fun to see those, too. And so you can switch it up and um, get exposure to those images that are also really, really fun to see. Yeah. And it's always fun to just sift through pictures and choose which ones you want. And by the way, the bonus tip that Kat gave, um, I did go to unsplash.com. It's super cool. There's some gorgeous, gorgeous images and photos there. I did spend a little bit too much time just flipping through the choices. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a hack that is both useful and fun to follow. So thank you, Kat. Thanks, Kat. Okay, Gretch, it is time for a four tendencies tip. Um, what is our tip this week? So the tip this week relates to the idea of switching tendencies, because people often say to me that they wish they could switch tendencies. So how can they switch from one tendency to the other? Right. I think a lot of obligers dream about being upholders. That is true. But perhaps surprisingly, I often hear very often from rebels. Mm. Some rebels love being rebels and like would never switch with any other tendency. But some rebels get frustrated with by themselves and they would sort of like to figure out how to switch tendency. Interesting. So how can you switch your tendency? So really, I argue that in my experience and observation, you really can't switch your tendency. And that's okay because there is no best tendency. There's no one tendency where people are more successful, where they're happier, they're healthier, they're more productive, they're more creative. And when you look at the people who have the lives they want, it's because they figured out how to handle their tendency. It's not that they've switched tendencies. Because the thing is, it's not really possible mm. to change your inner inborn nature, or, or if it is possible, it's super, super difficult. But it's very easy to change your circumstances to take your tendency into account. So it's more, I think, the better thing to think about is not to switch your tendency, but more like, well, how do I harness the best of my tendency? And how do I offset the weaknesses and limitations of my tendency so it doesn't get in my way? Yeah, I know for me, now that I have this whole understanding of myself as an obliger, um, that having a writing partner is yeah. hugely helpful to me. Yes, because you and Sarah are both obligers, right? Yeah, we're both obligers. So I think for both of us, we get much more done when we have a built-in accountability partner. Um, <laughs> and we also, we're people who like deadlines. So yeah, so I think that the secret is instead of saying like, well, I wish I were a different kind of person. So this kind of task came more easily. It's more to say, how do I create a system given who I am? so that I can get it done no matter what. It's not a question of changing who you are inside. It's a, it's about changing your circumstances. And same thing like with questioners. Sometimes questioners feel like, oh, I wish I could just get things done without asking all these questions. It's like, just accept the fact that as a questioner, you have this need for justification and efficiency and research. And so go deep into that. And if you're feeling like you're stalling out on something, Really take the time to think through what your justifications are, why this would be a good thing for you. And then a lot of times it gets easier for that questioner. It's not about being a different kind of person. It's just about like 
getting what you need in order to succeed for yourself. I think one thing that you probably don't experience because you're an upholder is a lot of people feel guilty about their tendency. They feel sort of ashamed that they can't meet inner expectations, you know, on their own. Um, and it's just like, don't feel ashamed. You can get the exact same result. You can get done what you want to get done if you just, you know, plan for it. That is so true. And one of the things that really makes me sad is when people just seem very disappointed with themselves. Um, like say with obligers, you know, I hear that from obligers, like, I don't want to have to rely on outer accountability. That feels weak to me. I want to be able to just do it on my own. I'm like, look, like 40% or more of people are obligers. This is a huge tendency. A lot of people are like this. There's nothing wrong with you. Like just set things yeah. up to get it done. Like you don't have to feel like you need to be fixed or you need to yeah. like change your fundamental nature. Just like give yourself some outer accountability, which by the way, is not hard to do once you realize that's what you need. Um, yeah, it, it, I think for a lot of people, it's really freeing and exciting to think that there's nothing wrong with them. It's not that they're lazy or they lack willpower or that they should be able to do something in a different way. It's just like, oh, well, things haven't been set up appropriately for me. Now I can make sure that I have those circumstances. And so I can get where I want to go. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you don't know what your tendency is, or you have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> which seems uh, unfathomable to me at this point, um, but because I talk about it all the time. If you want to find out if you're an upholder, a questioner, obliger, or rebel, or you want to read a little bit more about the four tendencies, you can take my quiz at happiercast.com slash quiz, or you can look in the show notes for this episode. And of course, they can buy your book, Gretch. I have to mention that. Oh, of course. Yes. Good sister that you are. Yes. Buy the book. It's coming out September 12th and you can pre-order it. Yes. The four tendencies. So the secret is not is not to try to change yourself, but to change your situation. All right. Now it's time for a listener question. And remember, you can reach us uh, by leaving an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. You can leave a voicemail at 774-277-9336, which is also 77-HAPPY-336. Or you can combine those methods by recording a voice memo and emailing it to us. So Gretchen, speaking of the four tendencies, this week's listener also asked a question that relates to the four tendencies, and it's a situation I think a lot of people will identify with. Hey, Liz and Gretchen. My name's Abby. I'm calling from Atlanta, and uh, I already have the four tendencies on pre-order, but I am an obliger and trying to start my own business. I'm still working a almost full-time job supporting my dad's business. And I have a side hustle that's really my passion project that I would like to make my full-time job eventually. So my question is, if you're an obliger who's working for someone else and you have your own project, how do I balance those competing needs when I'm obviously willing to do anything for my dad's business and have a much harder time on something that is really my passion project? Uh, thanks for your response. I look forward to hearing it. Thanks. Well, I feel like this is a question that so many people struggle with, Gretchen, how to yes. start a new business uh, when you already have a job, especially hard when that job has to happen to be like, <laughs> in the family. Yeah, yeah. And I love, of course, hearing that she has a side hustle um, because we both love Chris Gillibo and his podcast, Side Hustle School, which talks about how to have a successful side hustle. So first of all, she should listen to that. Yeah. But this this is something that she's raising that I've heard over and over from obligers. And she knows she's an obliger, so that's very helpful because that is the very important clue here. And the thing is, she's experiencing such a common 
uh, maybe the paradigmatic obliger problem, which is that she's got this outer expectation, which is her father's business. And those demands are very clearly articulated and they're coming right at her. And then she's got her own inner expectations, which is to start this up on her own. Mm. And so the answer the solution, the way that Abby can fix this is to create outer accountability for her own side hustle, that it feels just as pressing as what's going on with her full-time job. Mm. But here's something that you could do, and it's, it's not clear what her side hustle is for, but if it's possible, even before you're getting to the point where somebody would pay you, can you create somebody who is like a client or a customer or a student, even if they're not paying for you, they're just waiting like, oh, yeah, you're going to teach me how to do Pilates or, yeah, I'm going to get your ebook. I'm expecting it, even though you said you were going to give it for, to me for free. If people are waiting for your course, your service, if you feel like they're waiting for it, that is going to start to build up this sense of outer accountability. So I think sometimes people want to wait and have everything perfect before they take it out into the world. But maybe you sort of need to find people who will help you create that outer accountability by demanding whatever your side hustle is producing on an earlier way just to like get you started down that path. I also think just like people have book clubs, people like to have sort of our entrepreneur clubs, yes. you know, like because so many people right now are wanting to start their own businesses. So yep. I bet she could find a group of people to be an accountability group, but who also would be really useful to bounce ideas off of and maybe be these clients like you're talking about. Um so that's something I would recommend. Well, and that, you know, I have this app, the Better app, which you can find if you go to like Better Gretchen Rubin and just and, and just search, or you go to BetterApp.us. It's a place where you can just bring up questions or swap stories about the four tendencies. But one of the main things is people start accountability groups for anything that they need. You know, I want to garden more. There's an accountability yeah. group for that. I want to write my PhD thesis. Okay, I'm going to get together with some other people doing the same thing. And like you say, so many people want to start a side hustle. And they all have this issue. And so you can help each other, like set goals, meet deadlines, act as customers or clients, and just serve as that that feeling like somebody's looking over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. and, and I should say, what an obliger feels accountable for is very different. So you want to pay very close attention to what actually makes you feel accountable. But some obligers can feel accountable to their future selves, like, well, Abby right now feels like I need to do this for my father, but future Abby is going to be really angry at me now if I don't manage to like make progress on my own side hustle. Or you can think of your duty to be a role model for someone else. You could like if you have a family, you could say like I'm really making a commitment to myself to work on this and I'm going to show you how week after week I'm going to spend at least 10 hours working on my side hustle because I want to model this kind of behavior for you. Perseverance, commitment to self, building something for myself, pursuing a dream. I'm going to show you what that looks like. A lot of times people can do something to be a role model or as an example, even if they would struggle to do it for themselves. Or you might make a deal with somebody else. Like um, if I don't work on my side hustle for at least five hours a week, you get to choose what we have for dinner for the next week. Mm. So you make a deal where somebody else gets some kind of reward or some kind, or even maybe some kind of penalty if you don't follow through. So you're sort mm -hmm. of like, well, I have to do it for this other person, even if I wouldn't do it for myself. Yeah. And I don't know what her financial situation is, but I know for some people paying like a business coach yes. really helps. Absolutely. Like a paid accountability partner like that. They have expertise. And also because they're being paid, they tend to be really on you and be really excellent accountability partners. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great suggestion. So Abby, good luck. This is something I have to say. I've heard from tons and tons of obligers. This is a very, very common 
issue, very common challenge. And I hope that gives you some ideas for how you can uh, make progress on that side hustle. Let us know how it goes, Abby. (laughs) Yes. Okay, Elizabeth, demerits and gold stars. And so you've been feeling crabby. Now, whenever I hear that word, I think of SpongeBob and Krabby Patties. (laughs) So yes, this is the Krabby Patty time for you. Yes. Um, I have a, a happiness demerit um, that it, I want to say, you know, it comes out of, as I mentioned, feeling like I'm just, I'm working a lot. I'm, I'm distracted. I'm stressed. And I've just been feeling more crabby than usual. <laughs> and I did the classic thing that you know, you don't want to do, which is lash out at someone <laughs> because you're feeling bad. You yeah. want to make someone else feel bad. And yeah. so what happened is, um, you know, we've been redoing our house, <laughs> as I mentioned. Um, and outside we have this great bench built and there's a fire pit and we ended up putting up a big shade over it. It looks like a sail, like a boat sail, but it's a shade. Mm. Um, so you could sort of call it an awning. Anyway, Adam is the one who figured out how to do this and found the person and, you know, really dealt with the whole thing, for which I should give him a gold star, by the way. But he's been very concerned, like, is it going to look good? Is it not? Should we do this? Should we not do this? Once you do it, you can't really undo it, this whole thing. And the other day, you know, it was just like, it got up and it was like, how do you like it? And at first I said, I really liked it. But then like the next day, cause I think again, I was just crabby, tired and wanting to lash out. I started questioning it like, mm. oh, I don't know if we want a shade over the fire pit now that we can't see the sky. And I was just like really negative and it didn't really truthfully even reflect how I feel. Mm. I was just like bringing the moment down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really hurt his feelings and made him sad. Like he was then like really sad and I felt so horrible and I apologized like a million times, but it was sort of like once the words were said, they were in his brain, you know? And so I, it's been haunted me for days. Um, And so it's just a reminder to myself not to do that. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I know exactly that feeling. And then when you lash out like that, it, it feels like it's going to feel good and kind of relieve your feelings or it, it's going to be sort of delicious. To, I don't know, to vent um, in that way. But then it just makes you feel so much worse because then you feel all this guilt about how you how you behaved. And so it just like makes things twice as bad. Ugh. Yeah, it would have been so much better if I'd just been like, I love this. This is so great. And like hugged him and said, thank you for dealing with this. And then I would have personally felt better and made him feel good. Instead, I made both of us feel bad. So apologies to Adam. Yes. Okay. Well, that's my demerit. What is your gold star this week, Gretchen? So my gold star goes to a Delta counter agent. Oh, wow. You don't hear this often. So you this don't. is wonderful. I so admired this person. And one thing I learned, I learned an important lesson, which is don't just sit there admiring how well someone's doing his job, but actually try to find out his name. Because I could probably mm. have very easily found out his name and like maybe written an email or at least put something on Twitter or have said something on this podcast to give this guy credit where credit was due because we were flying Delta and we were going to Kansas City, you know, as we do every summer. And um, there was a a weather delay in LaGuardia, I think the whole New York City area. And one of the things that's hard about a weather delay is they can't assure you when your flight's going to take off. It's not like, you know, it's going to be an hour and a half and then they know that that's sort of, they're like, well, 
we'll find out. It just sort of depends. And so that, I think, makes people anxious. And in fact, there's a hilarious uh, research that I will link to in the show notes about waiting in line, about what makes makes it easier for people to wait or not wait in line. And one of the mm. thing is when people know how long they're going to wait, they're much more patient. But when it's uncertain, that makes them more mm. agitated. Interesting. So there was so much happening. It's, and we waited. We ended up being delayed five hours. So there was a lot going on. People coming and going. There's a lot of tourism in New York City at that time. So a lot of the people that were c- approaching this counter agent didn't really speak English very well. So we had to be really, really patient and take their time. There were a couple of people who are really, really annoyed. Like, if I don't make this flight, then by, you know, by noon, then there's no point in me even going. And how come you can't tell me? And why can't you rebook me on another uh, carrier? And he's like, all of LaGuardia is shut down. Like, and I think Kennedy shut down too. Like, I can't help you. There was an unaccompanied minor from another country. And like, he escorted the boy. (laughs) It was probably like 11 or 12, like very solemnly shook his hand. And they had a moment of like, good luck, man. You know, I'm rooting for you. I mean, he was so patient. He seemed so unrushed. This was one of the things that impressed me. It's like when I'm trying dealing with something like that, I start feeling very rushed and I communicate yes. that with other people. I'm sure, Elizabeth, you could speak to this. There's sort of a level of agitation and kind of um, electricity that is unsettling for people. It is, I am not a calming influence in a situation. like I would be terrible at that job. Mm-hmm. He just seems so calm. Like, we have all the time we need to solve your problems. I'm here for you. I'm totally focused on you. And yet he was being very efficient because sometimes people are so kindly that they're like chit-chatting. And you're like, okay, there's 30 people in line and you're chit-chatting with somebody. Right. That's not good customer service either. So he was both efficient but unhurried, you know, and so and I just saw him deal with like problem after problem after I'm sort of getting like, you know, traumatized just watching him go through (laughs) every possible situation that could arise. And then there was another great ticket agent that when we started boarding, she's like, we've been together for so long. How can you leave me now? Like, we're just starting to get to know each other. It was so funny because we'd all been hanging around this gate for so long. I'm like, This is an example of how when people really do their jobs in an excellent way, it really raises the level of ordinary experience. And I have learned my lesson and never again will I leave an experience like that full of admiration for somebody, but without the ability to uh, acknowledge them by name, because this is this is a person who really deserves acknowledgement because I was bowled over by seeing someone (laughs) do a difficult job so well for so long. So gold star. Gold star to the ticket agent. Yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Consider reading a work of children's literature. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, as always, it's such a help to us if you tell a friend or subscribe to us or rate or review the show. This week, the resources I'm suggesting for you first are if you would like to get my five videos about how to apply the four tendencies, which is a pre-order bonus that I'm offering right now. You can find the details at GretchenRubin.com slash 4T bonus. So that's an overview video plus um, videos on using the four tendencies at work with spouses and sweethearts, with children's and students, and in healthcare settings. And just note, like, it's free now as a thank you for people who pre-order. But after the book comes out, I'm going to charge for that. And it's going to be kind of a hefty charge. So just know that um, getting free access is something that's nice now in this pre-order time. And also... 
If you are thinking that you would like a free signed book plate or signature card for your copy, or if you're going to give it as a gift or for your book club or something like that, you know, an accountability group, perhaps, or spirituality reading group, you can email me at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or if you check the show notes at happiercast.com slash 132, I'll have a place there where you can sign up. And I am very sorry, but this is U.S. and Canada only because of the mailing costs. These are actual physical things that I will mail to you. And so I have to kind of control my mailing costs. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Onward and upward.